Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. Thanks, brother. That was, that was great. Appreciate that. Set me up well. Man, it is so good to be back here. I love your energy. I, I just do. It, it, it ministers to me. So thank you. Thank you very, very much. Uh, yeah, Riker is not here. And when uh, he said, man, I had some stuff come up, I thought, that's Riker. <laughs> I love that kid. I do. I do. I just love him. Uh, he did an incredible job. We had him all summer long. He did an incredible job. And I'd like to think that he enjoyed his time with us. I know my dog enjoyed uh, his time with Riker. Uh, they, had, they, they got along really, really well. I, I know that uh, Crosspoint was blessed uh, by Riker's time there, and I would really look forward to the opportunity to mimic that experience with any one of you. And so if you're interested in that, in coming to Massachusetts for the summer of 23, you need to come and talk to me, because uh, it will be really, really good. It really will. Riker is getting married next weekend. He has no idea what's coming. <laughs> he just doesn't. And none of you do, unless you've been there. You, you just don't. It's, it's a wonderful time. It's an amazing time. It is so cool. But you have no idea. You, ju- you, just, you just don't. Um, it, it's, it's so much fun. The week before your wedding is quite possibly one of the most mayhem-filled seasons of your life. Yeah, I, I offered I, we've got three, uh, and, and much to my wife's frustration, I offered all three of my kids money to elope. I did. And much to my wife's joy, they all turned me down. And the reason I did it was because I know what happens the week before the wedding. I have, I have vicariously lived through that. I've been doing ministry for over 30 years. I've done more weddings than you will ever do in tests and exams. And I know what happens that week before. It's a crazy, crazy time. Weddings are wonderful, but they're crazy. And, uh, and the reason why is because your ability to keep up with the pace of events and requirements and tasks and things, your ability to keep up with that pace very quickly evaporates. And you are overwhelmed. You just are. And so, uh, I am making a prediction that sometime between now and this coming Monday, Riker and Lucy will just simply say, whatever. Whatever. Let's just get this done. Okay? There is no peace. And when there is no peace, your joy evaporates. Your anxiety is logarithmically increasing with each day. That's what happens. It does. It also happens in the life of the believer. Um, Peace and pace of life are directly connected. The peace of your life and the pace of your life are directly, peace will be off the charts here. If your pace is up here, 
your peace is off the charts down here. It just works like that. Just think of finals week. Right? Yeah. Easy, I'm not done yet. You'll get there. There's plenty of time for amen in a little while. If you have not read John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, you need to. You, you definitely need to. It's a, it is an exceptionally good, it's a quick read, good book. John Mark Comer got the title for that book because he had a conversation with Dallas Willard. He reached out to Dr. Willard, asked him how he could just decrease the pace of his life and therefore increase the peace in his life. And Willard's response to that generic question was, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. Hence the title. The pandemic that we have all now gone through uh, forced us to come to a screeching halt. And when that happened, we kind of did an either intentional or unintentional evaluation of the things that we were doing, what was worth it, what wasn't. And so many people uh, made a semi-convicted resolution to not go back to the way that we were pre-pandemic, only to go back to the way that they were. I'm not sure if everybody's gone back to normal. I'm not sure if our pace has actually changed that much. But you know what I do know? I know that we are now more mentally fragmented as a people. We are more relationally isolated. We are more culturally frustrated. And we are more spiritually exhausted than we have been for a long time. And every weekend, you are going to churches with people just like that. And you know it. How can you and I have peace while living in a world that specializes in and celebrates conflict? It's a real challenge. And because peace is a part of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul encourages us to develop and enhance in our lives, how in the world can we have peace in this world if we don't have it ourselves? Where do we develop that? Where does it come from? How do we sustain it once we find it? I think the kind of peace that we're looking for isn't simply going to come because we've managed our schedules well. I don't think it works like that. Is it possible that you and I look for peace in the wrong places? Yep. Sure is. Sometimes we even look for it in the wrong things. In the book of Philippians, Paul is writing to a group of believers that I think are going through quite possibly one of the most difficult times in all of Christian history. And the advice that he gives to them, I think, is more than a plicker of to you and to me. It helped them then. It can help you and me now. In the fourth chapter of Philippians, Paul writes these well-known words, rejoice in the Lord always. And because you didn't hear me say it the first time, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't think, I really don't think I'm going to share anything with you that is overwhelmingly profound. I don't have really any new insights for you today. What I am going to do is remind you of some things that you might have forgotten. Remind you of some things that you might not have applied in your life for a while. The longer you serve the Lord, and I hope that is a really long time, the longer that you serve the Lord, I will say to you that you're going to be reminded of things more often than you learn new things. Our days are days of remindings because we're too busy. Our pace is too fast and we forget. So my job here this morning is to remind you of some things that really do matter. The first thing I want to remind you is that peace comes from God. Paul says it is of God, the peace of God. Uh, Peace, real peace will never come from your circumstances. It just won't. It will never come from your circumstances. We try and continue to try in so many ways to find peace from something else, from someone else. We do. As much as we try to avoid doing that, and that's why, that's why what we just experienced a few minutes ago, what you did for us for just a few minutes, we, people, you guys are shouting, you're raising your hands. Why? Because for a couple of days we forgot peace comes from God. And we raise our hands and, and we fight on our knees. That's why it's so exhilarating. Because we forgot. We deceive ourselves when thinking that if the right man gets elected, we'll have peace. We'll deceive ourselves in thinking that if we have enough money, we'll have peace. When I get to the right church, I'll have peace. When I find the right person, I'll have peace. When the semester is done, I'll have peace. When the wedding is over, I'll have peace. Yeah. Then I won't be burdened. Then I won't worry. Okay. Come talk to me in a couple days. In April of 2002, there was an article in Time magazine entitled, Today is a Great Day to Buy a Used AK. An AK is an acronym for an automatic weapon of war. A gun. Easy trigger. All right. The author wrote this. It seems that some people in Afghanistan are preparing for peacetime. As, this is 2002. It seems that some people are preparing for Afghanistan, uh, for peacetime in Afghanistan, as weapons are going for bargain prices these days. Prices on knives, Kalashnikov rifles, and rocket-propelled grenades have dropped 50% since December. Sounds like a commercial. One dealer tried to interest the reporter in a Kalashnikov for the bargain price of $200 with an extra 100 rounds thrown in just to close the deal. The man, who identified himself only as Abdul said he wouldn't need his weapons anymore. Peace has come to Afghanistan. The people are sick of fighting. Okay. I wonder if Abdul is alive. 
Jesus said in the upper room discourse in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Now listen. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Jesus said that the peace that he gives is not like the peace that the world gives. What in the world does that mean? I think, I think it means that any peace that you get that comes from any other source other than God is always temporary. It will not last. If it's not of God, it is not eternal. If it is from God, it is eternal. That's what I think that means. Jesus said the peace that he gives is eternal. God made permanent peace through Jesus. Jesus' death is the price of peace. That's what we get. We get peace because he died for you and me. His blood is the currency of peace with God. Colossians chapter 1 reinforces this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him reconcile himself uh, in all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, when we're forgiven of our own sins, that's the byproduct of this peace. And then we have peace. And when we have peace, we're able to transmit that peace to someone else. Because if we have been forgiven, it's really hard to hold someone else accountable for their sin when we've been forgiven of ours. Now, we'll do it, but it'll be awkward. It will be. But why then? See, peace begets peace, by the way. Begets peace. It births it. But after a while, we forget. We do. And when we forget, we become frustrated. And when we're frustrated, we say things we shouldn't say and do things we shouldn't do. We forget what God did, and then we worry. And when we worry, we become anxious. It's this descending stairway into peacelessness. I know God helped me before, but where is God now? Those are the things that we wonder in our anxiety. I want you to know that peace comes from God, but peace also comes from God through prayer. That's why we sing that song, When We Fight, I'll Fight, We'll Fight on Our Knees. That's why we do that. Paul, in verse 6, he says, present your requests to God. Paul writes about the how and the when here. He says, in every situation, that's the when. And he says, do so with thanksgiving, that's the how. With thanksgiving, in every situation, present your request to God. I know, when I say that, doesn't that just sound, I mean, that's a churchy line, isn't it? How do I do this? With thanksgiving. Sounds, it does, it sounds so churchy. But as I said, Paul wrote this to believers who were in a really hard period of life. And I think what you and I are going through doesn't even compare to what they were going through. And yet it still applies to you and me. 
but this is really important. The degree of difficulty of our lives is not relevant to what Paul is saying here. He's not even talking about it. He did, what Paul didn't say was, when it really gets hard, pray and pray. He said, in every situation, the wedding's not going well, pray. Your aunt died, pray. Doesn't matter, pray. He said, you need to pray in every situation. Here's a couple of things that I've learned as my prayer life has grown over the years. When I see God move in the small things of my life, the easy things, I am much more inclined to trust him with the big things. It's just kind of a natural progression. But when I worry, when I worry, the easy things become harder and the hard things become impossible. What do you think would happen if I would pray more than I worry? What do you think would happen if I would have more gratitude and do less complaining? I think another one of the applications is that people who follow Jesus cannot have the peace of God and be overwhelmingly anxious at the same time. Those two states of mind cannot coexist. They just can't. When we are anxious, we should pray. It, it, just, it needs to be a default response. When we're anxious, we pray. pray. Prayer is the antidote to that anxiety. Paul says that peace will come not only, it comes from God, and not only in prayer, but it comes despite our circumstances. It's, it's that interesting phrase that we've all heard. It transcends understanding. Transcends it. Peace is commonly defined as the absence of conflict. Does anybody, is, is there anyone here this morning whose life does not have conflict? In any degree. Interesting. Survey is complete. Or you're asleep. Yeah, you get the point. But in the scriptures, peace is not defined that way. Peace is defined as a relationship, guys. It's a relationship with Jesus. That's the difference. Did you know that one of the top internet searches throughout the two years of the pandemic, what is wrong with me? How do I get rid of my anxiety? What does the Bible say about anxiety? Do you know people ask that last question more often than you'd be willing to even begin to believe? Do you know the number one verse looked up during the pandemic was Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Number one verse. That ought not surprise you. Maybe, maybe it will. I'm not sure. A study of young people your age just recently completed throughout the entire pandemic, people ages 18 to, 13, 18 to 39, compare, they compared anxiety levels pre-COVID and anxiety levels post-COVID. Depression and anxiety increased well over 100%. Of those surveyed, half, 48%, experienced symptoms of anxiety and depression. Do you know that of those surveyed, only a third of them sought help? 
two-thirds, two-thirds are walking around wondering, looking for peace. Nobody wants to live like this. No, people are so tired of living like this, they will Google for answers. That's the point in all of this. This peace transcends understanding. It's not going to make sense to the friends who are walking around looking for hope, but you have the means to do this. Derek and I were talking about this on the way into the campus this morning. There are four Gospels. Would you understand, would you even be willing to acknowledge the fact that you, in your person, in the work that God is doing in you right now, you are the fifth Gospel? Now, I know that in some ways, wait, 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 what? But the work that God is doing you in the post-Christian world that you are now going to operate in, in the post-Christian world that your professors and I can't wait for you to get on the field, you are the fifth gospel. You are the person that we need to speak to the 22-year-old who doesn't want to listen to the boomer. They don't. But they're going to listen to you because you are their friend, and Jesus is your friend, and Jesus is going to use you to rescue them from the anxiety and depression that they are so desperately trying to get away from. And it doesn't make sense to them. Peace around you requires two or more people to compromise. That's what makes sense to them. Compromise. Compromise, surrender, forget, forgive, to lay down and to no longer consider important what at one time someone thought was important. That's really, really hard to do. In a world where everyone has to have their say, in a world where everybody gets their way, peace is almost impossible. But you know someone different. You know someone who through his own blood brought peace for eternity. That is where hope comes from. It's really hard to have peace around you if there is no peace in you. The insidious nature of anxiety is that there can be complete peace around you and you can be absolute chaos inside you. John 16, John, uh, Peter continuing on in that upper room discourse says this, I have told you these things. What things? Jesus just gets done telling those that are closest to him that he's not going to be there anymore, that he's going away, and that the things that he taught, they will remember. And they're hearing all these things. What is going on? I can't believe he's gonna, not going to be here. He's going to die. What in the world is going on? Jesus says, I have told you these things that you will have peace. I've told you these things that you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've made the world irrelevant insofar as your relationship with your father is concerned. That's what this is all. The peace that comes from God through prayer isn't going to give you a trouble-free life. It will, however, help you be calm in the midst of all of that trouble. Peace in your mind and in your heart in you is actually a lot easier to attain. Peace inside you is easier to attain than peace outside. Especially because of Jesus. Thomas Akempis wrote this, First, put yourself at peace, and then you may be better able to make others be at peace. A peaceful, listen, a peaceful and patient man is more profit to himself and to others than a learned man 
who has no peace. Lastly, peace, uh, the peace of God protects you. It will guard your hearts and minds. Yes, anxiety diagnoses have increased, and, as, and they've done so. But did you guys know that the number one mental health issue before the pandemic was anxiety? This is not new. We've been struggling this, and we will continue to struggle with this. The language that he's referring to here, the language here is actually referring to a sentry, a military guard there who is on watch. One writer I read said that the peace of God in Christ garrisons your mind and your heart. You have all of that for you, for you in all of this, garrisons your mind. The peace of God in Christ stands at the door of your heart and your mind and does so to protect you, to guard you. If you try and do this without Jesus, let me make this really poignant. You come to Crosspoint this summer and you try and do what I'm going to ask you to do without Jesus, you will not last long. You won't. You try and do this with Jesus and you have no idea the beauty and the joy that's going to work inside you. At night, when Satan reminds you of what you used to do, at night, when Satan reminds you of who you used to be, you need to be reminded of who you are now. That's where peace comes from. God protects you and reminds you that you've been forgiven. You are redeemed. You are new. And the most furious attack of Satan himself cannot prevail against that. Cannot. Proverbs 14 says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body. I've gone a little bit long. Lean into this. Pray for the peace that God will give you. And you'll be blessed. Father, thank you so much for the hope that we have in the peace of God that is found in Jesus. It's in his name that we have peace. It's because of his name, the power of his name, that our hearts rest at night. God, our ability to actually sleep at night and sleep well comes from the peace that you give us. Give these students peace. Help these students to help others have peace. Father, I pray for their professors. I pray for this institution. I pray that you give them peace so that they can see it, the students can see it in the lives of the professors, not just become an academic topic, a subject for a paper, but to be a lifestyle, something that can be seen and therefore passed on. Lord, thank you. You are our Prince of Peace. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church. 
where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.